All right, so the U.S. is close to a deal with Israel and Hamas to, quote, pause the conflict and free hostages. Clearly, the Biden administration has been working tirelessly on this as there is mounting, mounting, mounting pressure from all angles to do better. Um, and I'm going to show you guys this report. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see originally the Washington report. This comes from the Washington report just in the last few days. Originally, the Washington report... Uh, Washington Post reported that the U.S. and the Biden administration had reached a deal. They then went back on that reporting and said, uh, you know, the White House disputed it. And now this is where we're at. As of November, this was written November 18th at 10.52. So as you're watching this, just in the last few days. And essentially this deal, hypothetically, if it does go through in the next, you know, it could be it could be the day you're watching this, Monday. If you're watching this on Monday, uh, November 20th, it would be a five-day pause in the fighting monitored by aerial surveillance, uh, could see, you know, dozens of hostages freed, et cetera. And we're still trying to learn more essentially about, about what this would entail. But, Harry, I think my opinion here is like um, – you know, we have we have a, a detailed, as the Washington Post says, I'm highlighting it here, a detailed six-page set of written terms will require all parties to the conflict to freeze combat operations for at least five days while an initial 50 or more hostages are released, released in smaller batches every 24 hours. It was not immediately clear. So there's some, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So clearly the Biden administration under very intense pressure from both the far left to completely, you know, uh, or, or, or not really the far left, the majority of of Democrats in general, mm. uh, people who are involved with the Democratic Party want a ceasefire. Uh, we're seeing polling around, you know, 80% of people want a ceasefire, but, you know, actual de elected Democrats have been more scarce in, in calling for a ceasefire. Some call for a very conditional ceasefire, which would be something like this, where, you know, okay, we'll stop the fighting as long as, you know, hostages get released, et cetera. But under intense pressure, I think this is this is this is pretty impressive. What do you think? No, yeah, I think this is like uh, I think this is like very very impressive. Um, it's a tough deal to come to because there's so many parties involved and there's so many um, so much passion, emotion, and, and, and everything behind it. Um, as we've seen in, in recent weeks, is you know this has been something that's been going on for weeks now in, in Doha, Qatar. Which if you're on YouTube, you can see the docs have been going on for a very long time. This is something that the Biden administration pretty much has been working on since we learned that there's been hostages. Um, and you know like. Trying to get hostages back from a terrorist group is never an easy feat. So this is kind of like a 24-7 um, kind of a operation here. Um, but it would be impressive. And the fact that they're even like it was initially reported that there was a deal. Now it's like we're close to a deal. Um, regardless of that, even if we're close, it's still impressive that, you know, they're even they're even able to get this far. Um, and I think that this should definitely be a priority when, for people when we're, we're thinking about this this conflict here, and that you know there are still what like two hundred around two hundred forty innocent people being held hostages hostage in uh, Gaza by Hamas in the tunnels that exist under the, the actual land. Um, but yeah, and look, look as you highlight here, the administration's highest priority in, in this Washington Post article for our audio listeners, however, has been freeing the, the nine Americans and one permanent U.S. resident among the hostages. Quote, I think we need a pause, Biden said two weeks ago at a campaign event. A pause means time to get the prisoners out. Um, it's a little, obviously different than a ceasefire, but yeah, I mean, I think I think just overall it's impressive that we're even kind of at this point. We, we've gotten you know? this far, right? I mean, clearly the Biden yeah. administration has been working. I agree 100% they've been working um, behind the scenes they've been working very hard and I think like it's becoming more apparently clear kind of as we're uh, over the next few weeks where we're kind of headed maybe 
in terms of okay, we're gonna you know take the take the route of you know Israel is 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 you know being very aggressive right now. The U.S. is obviously internally just the administration is feeling lots of pressure to calm Israel down um, in some in some aspect, and that has been very difficult. But in the last few days, even especially in the last week, we've seen even more moderate Democrats. I mentioned to you privately, like Jamie Raskin, um, John Ossoff here in Georgia, um, a couple others. I, I wouldn't call them moderate, but again, they're not they're not part of the quote unquote progressive caucus, the technical progressive caucus, who is who's the one mainly calling for ceasefire. But they have come out and said we we need a conditional ceasefire. We've seen you know people high up in the Democratic Party in general who are also Jewish who have said you know we need some sort of conditional ceasefire, which I think has been the right approach um i think is the right approach uh you know this is a pause but maybe something that's that eventually in the next few weeks we'll see will be something where you know okay the, the fighting's going to stop completely um and where you know all the hostages are are freed and here's essentially some complex plan to make sure hamas is no longer in power that doesn't involve relentless bombing and you know et cetera, et cetera. yeah so let me ask you this like in your view, what would be the ideal ending to not only this agreement here, but a possible ceasefire? Like, what, what would that be for in your view? It's like uh, the ideal conditions, you mean? Yeah, like if you could pick, like if you're in that negotiating room, what would you say is the best? Well, step? I, I think like I, I think it's like it's um, and this might not be a great answer, but I think it's complex in the sense that like there's some areas that like obviously we're like learning it's it's very hard in wartime i think the one thing that like you know i say quote unquote wartime but the thing that people don't understand about any type of conflict especially nowadays and our generation being so young is you're seeing stuff on twitter and, and all these places and it's like real time but you're like really getting accurate information days after it actually happens so a lot of times you're like you might have a perspective on something that's going on that will change very rapidly as we actually get the facts, at least if you're being genuine about looking at the facts. You know, you might see one thing and then it may be disputed a few days later and then disputed again. And then that that issue of whether it's a hospital or where a hostage is, et cetera, may not actually be settled for another week or two. So so the situation is ever evolving. But I think that um, what I, I mean, obviously, like the Jamie Raskin essentially said, I want all the hostages freed. I want condition for multiple groups to send, like, as much aid as physically possible, fuel, water, and food to the people of Gaza. And this would not just be, like, 100 trucks. This would be pounds and pounds and pounds from multiple different agencies all working together to essentially, like, like flood Gaza with much-needed civilian aid. Um, and then the last—so those are the two, like, absolute necessaries— the third necessary is some technical plan and an agreement, I guess, from Hamas that's like, okay, we're going to not do this anymore. We're going to step – and it's not just we're not going to do October 7th anymore. It's we're going to step aside. Someone else is going to govern. The question is how actually likely is that? You know, We know we're dealing with literal terrorists, people who have said multiple times they plan to do October 7th again, and they plan to fulfill what they believe in, which is that the state of Israel no longer – uh, deserves to exist, which means we can't have them in power. But, I mean, knowing the U.S. And, and how much play we have there, I'd be surprised that you can't push Hamas to a level to say, all right, we do not want to do this anymore. Step aside. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, like, um, 
I think it's very complex. So what we're ideally, what's ideal and what actually happens are two different things. Um, but yeah, I think that um, ideally with a end scenario, we would want, as you mentioned, like having humanitarian aid um, for Gaza to make sure that the innocent people are okay. And as you said, like food, water, all the crucials. I think we also have to have a post Hamas plan in place before anything happens. One of which that's including infrastructure rebuild, um, also just infrastructure building because there's a lack of that in many places in Gaza, like sanitation-wise, sewage, things like that. Need definitely need to have some um, a plan there of which the international community helps with, including the United States. Um, and as you said, there also has to be a deal where Hamas steps aside, um, and the hostages are released, and then the, the Israel. Uh, also probably has to loosen up some of their control over the region in terms of like border crossings. And I'm just assuming that is what they're going to have to give up in order to get anybody to agree to any of this. Uh, but yeah, like something like that, something like where the ho- the hostages come home. I think like the three main pillars are hostages come home, Hamas is gone, um, and there is some nation rebuilding for Gaza, not just you know, like, well, let's just put Hamas back in power and see what happens. But, you know, like something bigger than that. You're you're muted. Sorry, Chris is so, muted. No, sorry about that. No, you're that's good. the that's the dream scenario. Right. The question yeah. is, again, as as I would argue that so much has gone wrong for Israel in the West throughout this conflict. Um, You know, the question is, how how likely is all that? And I think like I think the biggest question mark is like for everyone call. The biggest question mark that's not talked about, like you just asked me, is for everyone calling for a ceasefire. What's the plan after the ceasefire? And it's it's kind of becoming clear to me listening to not just people actually calling for the ceasefire, not just but also experts is, you know, there's some way to to rid Hamas without continually, you know, just this extensive brutal bombing campaign. But I don't know that anyone really knows the answer to that. But I have a yeah. feeling that we're going to learn quite a bit more in the coming week or two. Yeah, well, again, like I, I think you and I have talked about this privately, but the problem with ceasefires is that they're never, ever, ever effective. Um, well, especially with terrorist groups, but also unless the people you're ceasefiring with, that would, in that case, would be uh, Hamas from Israel, uh, unless they have like go- means of achieving their political goals and like nation building. So if you just like, if tomorrow they're just like, Ceasefire! Everybody, stop shooting! Stop it! Yeah, it's a huge. We're going to be in the same cycle. It's, it's, it's going to be the exact mistake. same thing. It's actually it's going to be worse. It's going to be way yeah. worse. And, and again, mistake. like Hamas's leaders have been like, "Yeah, we want to repeat October 7th. They're like, "They've right. said it." They're like, "Yeah, we want to do it over and over and over again." Right. So, you know, you can't just be like, "Okay, ceasefire now." Joe Biden can't get up on the stage and be like, "Let's call for a ceasefire right now." Everybody's put down their arms, right? Um, and then also that comes, I mean, you theoretically could for negotiations to go on, which would be great, you know, if they just stop fighting for negotiations to take place. But then the issue is, does Hamas actually listen to the ceasefire and does Hamas just use that time to rebuild? So, you know, it's just difficult, I think. Like, there's there's no easy answer. There's no, like, I, I, and I don't even know, like, there's an ideal situation. I just don't know how far the ideal situation is from reality. My guess right now is that it's very far. Yeah, you know? right. No, I mean, I agree. This, Like I said, this whole situation has been very far from ideal so i'd probably agree but you know you can always hope i think mm. like and and the other one other thing that i think the washington post article mentions very briefly that i want to mention to people because i think it's it's like it's fascinating right is not only is you know again we've talked about how 
a lot of people in regards to this event assume that Biden has a lot more potential control than he actually does, right? The West has a lot of control. We give, we've given Israel the most aid of any U.S. ally since World War II. We give them some, you know, roughly $3 billion a year. We fund, uh, you know, extensively fund their military, right? So the Joe Biden has sway, obviously. The West has sway. The question is how much sway? And the question is, you know, I and I think our opinion is that if Joe Biden got up on a stage tomorrow and called for a ceasefire, that's not going to immediately, you know, end the fighting. I think that's just a very common misconception when this is talked about online. Um, but something the Washington Post article points out that I really like is that, you know, Netanyahu is under, you know, and I, I despise Netanyahu. But just the fact of the matter is he also has to agree to the deal, but he is under a whole different type of pressure mm. because we saw this week huge rallies, like huge protests in Tel Aviv of people in Israel saying, bring the hostages home. You're not doing enough to bring the hostages home. And of course, the people in Israel are not advocating for him to, you know, com commit I'm not trying to suggest they're advocating for him to do like more extensive bombing campaigns. They simply think he's not done enough to bring the hostages home. You haven't secured the people that we care about, we love, the Israelis that got captured. So not only is Netanyahu under this enormous pressure while people storm in the streets of the capital to say, you know, you're not doing enough in some aspect, the rest of the world is hammering him saying, you're doing the most, you're doing way too much in some aspect. And so, and then the West and Joe Biden is kind of playing this middle where we're trying to really put pressure on them to you know back off while his internal approval ratings plummet so i just think people should remember that we have to win negotiations with someone who in all honesty is under more pressure than joe biden is just internally and that's netanyahu as his approval rating has dropped to you know the mid 30 percent in israel and that's and that's see that's just what adds another layer of complexity to this that i think a lot of people don't consider is that the the actors in this that being like um at least from the americans perspective joe biden the united states government overall we have congress and stuff like that but also netanyahu and hamas it's like getting these three parties to agree to a deal <laughs> is is a really difficult especially like something to end the conflict and look i think that as we were talking about like what's ideal what's versus what realistic i think what's realistic right now and i think what people have to accept is that there will not be a ceasefire. There's just not going to, I don't, I genuinely don't see a circumstance right now in which there's a ceasefire. Really? Unless, yeah, unless, like, I mean, I think there could be like a temporary five day thing, like as we were talking about, but overall as a ceasefire, I don't, I genuinely in my heart of hearts do not think that no matter what Joe Biden says on the stage, Netanyahu is gonna stop, nor will Israel and, and kind of like the IDF want to stop. Um, and I, I, I like, we, the United States can scream about it. People can scream about it in the streets. And I, I, I think that, again, like as we were talking about, a conditional ceasefire is the right way to go. And I think the United States is probably working on that behind the scenes because, uh, you know, public and private things are different. But I just I truly do not believe there's going to be ceasefire anytime soon. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I mean, and in general, I'll just say, like, I, pro I probably disagree with that. But I also see the, you know, I see the argument because, again— as you say, the things the thing that the people in the the U.S. don't realize is, you know, this is all very, you know, to Israel's credit. I think this is a situation where there's so much ingrained in the history of of Judaism, just 
not and I'm not talking about the whole history of Judaism. I'm talking about the last 100 years in regards to obviously World War Two and the constant anti-Semitism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so there's a very strong sense that I think like a lot of people who call for a ceasefire, you know, don't understand that this is this is, you know, something that the IDF and the people of Israel and it's totally valid are just not going to stop until they are safe from, you know, someone who brutally attacked him on October 7th, which is understandable, especially as I've, you know, seen people, uh, even very outspoken people on Twitter say the same thing. Um, but to that point, I think that, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of convinced that (laughs) I'm kind of convinced that, you know, my concern at this point, Harry, is not that there is actually not that there may not be a ceasefire because there may not be a ceasefire. My concern now is that I think Joe Biden has to call for a ceasefire. I think that regardless of what the Biden administration is saying about how likely it is to actually succeed, the reality of the conversation, no matter it doesn't matter if you believe a ceasefire should or shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for me to say that because these are innocent lives I'm talking about. So I'm just I'm being brutally honest right now. Regardless of that issue for one second, the Biden administration has to be thinking like this is is this not there is this not like really hurting the the twenty twenty four campaign? Like what's your thought on that? Like you know, we've seen like we see polls that eighty percent of Democrats want a ceasefire. We see pol- polls that the between 66 and 70 percent of Americans want a ceasefire. And that's like a very broad question because I agree with you that most Americans aren't going to conceptualize the idea of like what that actually entails. But I feel I, I think Joe Biden's under a tremendous amount of pressure. And as we see that pressure grow, I think you might have to just do something. Yeah, well, I think like I think. Joe Biden is going to eventually have to call for a ceasefire. I mean, the pressure is just so immense. And we also have to, like, weigh the weigh the pros and cons. That being, like, um, you know, the pros are like, oh, we don't piss off Israel and we still have, like, a really strong allyship there. And, like, we get to, like, have that influence behind the scenes and push them to be better in, in Palestine. Like, don't, like, fucking turn off the water, right? But then... I think the cons we have to, I think cons are very much present. It's, you know, it's, it is absolutely hurting his, his campaign for 2024. And on the flip side of that is Trump, right? Like the, the problem is, is that Biden is fighting like a nine front war right now. Um, you know, um, as, uh, I've, I've been there, I've been, been there. there, you've been right. there, you know what it's up. Uh, he's like fighting a nine front war right now. And there's a lot of fires going on that, you know, we're all trying to put out and the Biden administration is trying to put out, but, um, it's just so, tough. So I think eventually he's going to have to, but we'll see. I don't know. Okay. Okay. So it's like, I'm, I'm, so let yeah, me, so let me, before you go, I want to ask you a question. All right, all right. Um, I want to ask you a question that may interest people. It may not. Who knows? You know, in terms of people being active on social media, using their voice and saying, I think that no matter my gripes with Biden, the right choice in 2024 is Biden because it can't be Trump. This idea that even if, and I've seen people interviewed at pro-Palestine rallies, very, very passionate. This is, they say, you know, this is, I really, really think it's horrible Joe Biden's not calling for a ceasefire, saying some really awful stuff about Joe Biden, but saying at the end of the day, I'm going to vote for him because X, Y, and Z. So my question to you is, if you're on social media, if you're someone who's trying to use your voice just in person with people or on social media, like, is the, is, is the best route for, you know, 
what's the best route for people talking about this issue to help Joe Biden get reelected? Does that make sense? Do you do you understand yeah, what yeah. I'm saying? Do you understand no, what I'm and, saying? No, and I'm actually I really want to hear your view about this because we might disagree or we might disagree 100. percent I think that I I love. And I, I think you agree here. I love lo young people standing up for what they believe in and fighting for what's right and like being vocal about it, being involved and being engaged. But it has to, there has to be conditions on that. You have to be informed. You have to, be, you have to weigh your, your words matter. People's words really matter, especially if, if you have a platform. You have to be very careful with your words and the message you're sending and you know, be informed. So when young people are talking about this or people who have platforms or whatever on social media, I would love – I don't – I'm perfectly happy for them to disagree with Joe Biden. They could say like I want a ceasefire right now. But what I'm not happy with is when people are like I want a ceasefire but Joe Biden's not doing it. So that's why I'm not going to vote for him. I think that is a dangerous line of reasoning and almost a faulty line of reasoning when you break it down because then you're just letting Donald Trump get into office who would never, ever call for a ceasefire, right, might I add. Right. But I'm like what – so I'm curious – that's the same question to you. Like, what do you think is the most effective way for people to talk about this on social media? And like, how do you want I to mean, see yeah, it happen? I mean, yeah, you know, and the reason I ask you is because people, you know, I had a couple of people close to me ask me, and I always emphasize for, you know, whatever. Um, it's hard because, you know, you may say, as you talk to people on social media or in person who actually care about what you have to say or, you know, say, oh, you know, Maybe you're talking to a brother or a sister or a family member who, like, may actually change their vote or vote differently based on how you're feeling. It's hard to explain to someone in, a lot of times with politics nowadays because it's so divided. People expect you, especially – it's, it's all because of Trump. People expect you to be – you either love everything he does or if you say something bad about him, you must hate him. And there's really this – like, there's no in-between. So I think that um, it's important to, for people on social media to emphasize, to always say exactly how you feel, to tell the truth, to say, you know, I think X, Y, and Z. I think Joe Biden should really call for a ceasefire because of this. I'm really passionate about because of this. I'm angry because of this. But preface why, you know, your voting decision will still be the same or vice versa, why it will be different. But I think it's important as, you know, like – Things are, are so inflamed right now that it's very easy for someone to turn on the camera and say, I want to cease fire right now. You know, I'm very upset. Okay, fair. But I've already I've watched it balloon into a, a lot of people saying, kind of hopping on this train of I'm not voting for Joe Biden when the original person wasn't really saying that in the first place. You know what I mean? Mm. No, I mean, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, it's just, as you said, it's just like very inflamed right now. It's like there's a lot of emotions. And I, I think that you know, in this, this conflict and kind of like what's happening right now, I always am like, what's, what's going to be the attitude of the people? Like, a, like, you know, 11 months from now, I, I have to stop saying a year from now because the election will already be over. But like, what is, what is the attitude going to be like 11 months from now? It like, I, I think this situation well, is so volatile. What's up? Go ahead. I have, a, I have, a, I actually have a really funny point to what you just said. You said like, it is, it's so volatile. I, yeah. I just asked someone very close to me the same question. I was like, I don't know how people are going to be feeling about this issue in a month. You know, people are calling it the disaster of Joe Biden's presidency. Do you, this is so funny. Do you remember the Chinese air balloon? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Dude. Look at your face when I said that. You haven't thought about that in months, but at yeah. the time, that was being touted 
as like the mid like this mid area for Joe Biden's presidency of like this is what's going to kill him. His national security, he let a Chinese spy balloon fly over the country. I remember people talking about it like we've never had a president do something like this. He doesn't care. And I saw Fox News bits about how that was going to end his presidency. I haven't thought about I forgot that happened. Everyone forgot that happened. Whether yeah. you're a Republican or a Democrat, I haven't heard that in months. And look, I I think like another to your point like when was the last time that a Ukraine war story was front front page? When was the last time? Right, right, exactly. You know what I mean? Like that probably 2022, right? Well, 2021 what, maybe. Right, right, and that's what's going to determine what's going to determine the outcome is is um is again like hopefully factually what's actually going on in these regions. Like if 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 there's some progress on the Israel front that people can be hopeful for, and there's some progress, to your point, on the Ukraine front, where it feels like Ukraine's actually making progress and the U.S. dollars we're sending to both countries are doing something for good, for peace, for whatever, and that's the vibe in the air, then, yeah, hypothetically, he'll pull it out. But we'll have to see. Yeah, I think – I mean, yeah, I don't know. We'll just see. We'll see. Um, God, but man, yeah, so much – No, that was a good conversation, though. This is fascinating. Yeah. It's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. So we'll have to see where, where, uh, where the um, – the U.S. goes in terms of, you know, their position on the deal with Israel. I think to close out on this for now, it's that, you know, we're, we're looking at death tolls for Palestinians of, you know, close to 11,000 plus. Um, and we're looking at death tolls for Israeli citizens in the thousands as well, which I will pull up right now. Um, and I want everybody to remember that Joe Biden is under and the U.S. are under tremendous amounts of pressure from all angles. Uh a lot of the right answer is not so clear all the time. Um, and so to just be mindful of that when you're when you're looking at social media to always do your research and always remember at the end of the day domestically um, anti-Semitism and any type of anti, you know, Muslim rhetoric has no place here, period. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think that's like something that I really want to hammer on going forward is I think the anti the anti-Semitism specifically in the United States is raging right now and is not being talked about enough. So again, as we always say, if you're personally affected by this, we on whatever angle, whatever angle, whatever side, we wish you the best, truly, because this it's horrible. And now, also, just one, one, one to add on, like if you're also affected by this, personally affected by this, our DMs are always open. We're always happy to talk to you. And you know, if you have opinions, obviously drop them in the comments or just like DM us everywhere. Or, you know, like or you, you right, exactly, well said. Or you can email us at questions. oh yes. Yes, yes, questions at cmhsunplugged.com. It'll be in the link on whatever you're watching. Questions yeah. – or the bio. I'm sorry. Questions at – I'm sorry, not the bio. The description. Questions at cmhsunplugged.com. I appreciate you mentioning that, Harry. Yes, our DMs course, are always yeah. open. Our yeah, DMs are always open. So with that being said, that's that's kind of where we're at on Israel, and we'll probably talk about it again next week, Monday, 1 o'clock as well. And then the last thing we want, I wanted to touch on this week was you know some of, some of mm. Trump's – what Trump's been up to. Which is a lot because Trump's up to a lot every day of his life. Um, you know, he's been in court quite a bit with you know his his fraud case. He's been you know the uh, the 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 lawsuits are or his uh, I'm sorry appeals are going back and forth to all these different cases. He just lost a case in um, or well technically he didn't really lose or win, but there was the the opinion case in Colorado oh, yeah. about that he's allowed to be on the ballot, but it was a huge huge ordeal because it ruled that he actually did participate and cause an insurrection um so a lot of donald trump stuff going on um but but this this is what i wanted to pull up you know this is from npr i'm reading from 
he, Donald Trump made a post, and he's used multiple times now in recent rallies, the term vermin, V-E-R-M-I-N. Um, and, and essentially, this has not gotten enough press anywhere except really, you know, a lot of Democrat circles. Um, but it's really, really, really scary stuff. Really scary stuff. Um, you know, I'm just I'm going to read the exact quote, you know, um, from the Trump rally, quote, we pledge to you that we will root out all the we will root out the communist, Marxist, fascist and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. And that was in New Hampshire. Um, and that, that was that was very, very recently. And as the NPR article points out, points out this is very scary because that's 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 some uh Nine, I'll, I'll say like, that's uh, that's 1930s and 1940s Germany. I mean, that's that's a very authoritarian, very like what um you know down the white supremacist alley, um, and um, obviously we've seen you know the same type of authoritarian stuff from Trump before that everyone seems to normalize nowadays. You know, being an election denier and his immigration policy moving towards 2024, where he's going to you know hypothetically. He, he wants to ramp up his his immigration pol, pol, or his immigration um, reform like tenfold and set up these camps and do these mass deportations. It's really scary stuff. But I think you know I saw a few people talk about this, but I think it went a little bit under the radar that that he's you know not just saying authoritarian you know fascist absolute insanity of election denying and 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 you know his um, his. Uh, immigration policy but we're we're literally we're literally here hearing him use language that's like almost identical to hitler mm. um and, and as this person says you know the language of rooting out vermin the reason why authoritarian leaders use that is because it does dehumanize their political opponents um and it re leads to political violence that's the goal it leads to political violence you're dehumanizing you know a group of people that donald trump just alleges as democrats right and of course how many republicans do you think spoke out about this and said it was a bad thing big fat zero or at least a national republicans yeah. big fat zero no and and uh to your point of let me just put something up on the screen real real quick here uh to your point of like uh you know donald trump's language um being that of authoritarians and comparing it to like hitler in you know 1930s 1940s germany here's a good um Good graph by the the guys over at Midas Touch, the brothers. Um, they put this together, kind of comparing some of Hitler's quotes to Donald Trump's, and you can see this, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. So, you know, for example, um, Hitler said, "I will get rid of the quote communist vermin." Trump said, "I will get rid of the communist vermin." Uh, Hitler said, "I will take care of the quote enemy within." Trump also said, "I will take care of the threat from within." Uh, you know, Hitler had obviously his um, his main philosophy was that Jews and migrants are poisoning Aryan blood. And Trump has also kind of echoed that in a different way, saying migrants are poisoning. The, and this is a real quote, quote, are poisoning the blood of our country. Um, Hitler said one people, one realm, one leader. Uh, Trump has said one people, one family, one glorious nation. Um, and, you know, when you put them side by side, it's like, wow. You know, and, and yeah. you know, he's using this quote, vermin, which was very, very popular at the time. It's like, wow. Uh, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty disgusting, pretty concerning, and the fact that like nobody's really speaking out about it, uh, you know ma major Republicans are not speaking out about it is is also very gross. And I I also like to remind people that I think it was like Trump's ex wife uh, post divorce said that he kept a book of like Hitler's quotes on his bedside table. Uh, just something to think about, maybe some food for thought in this in the broader scheme of this conversation. But like this is 
this is what we're up against, folks. And this is no joke. You know, like this is, man, it's just done with intention. There's a reason why Trump is using words like vermin, you know? Right, right, exactly. And, and as the saying, the saying goes, is that history doesn't repeat itself. It or history doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes or something like that. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. yeah. yeah something. Um, and that essentially, like going as I talked earlier about using your voice on social media, like, and I've seen many Democrats point this out is, you know, we see stuff like this where we're, we're like getting really clear warning signs about what what could happen moving forward that we've already seen in the past. We've already heard about Donald Trump's plans for immigration, um, these mass these mass deportations, you know, Project 2025, uh, gutting climate change, gutting the DOJ, gutting, you know, all these horrible things. And it's it's odd. So many um, so many news outlets are so focused on polls and polling rather than what like the actual substance of what either candidate what their plans will actually do for the country you know and i saw this pointed out and i don't, I don't i'm not really big on attacking the media like i don't kind of like that whole narrative even from democrats i i really like don't like it because it it feels very like it feels very trumpy to me i'll be honest it just feels trumpy when you're like oh i've the done media. that Right, uh, hey, that's fair. That's okay, and we could talk about. It. Let's have a conversation about it real quick. Because yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've never done it before, but I did find it a very interesting point that like everyone wants to talk about how Biden's underwater with all this, but nobody will like take just a second to be like, these are Donald Trump's clearly out outlined and factual plans for if he gets elected in twenty twenty four, and this is what will happen. And obviously, people have done that, but it doesn't feel like major media companies, you know? Yeah. Well. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's like a prop. So like when I just said, like, we've had, you know, I've, I've had my own problems with the media, like on Twitter, I've been like, the media won't talk about this, which I think is a, a lot of the time it's true. Um, and I'm maybe that's a maybe that's a broad term. And I probably shouldn't have said something like that. But um, yeah, I think like, and that's, a, that's something I'm like, really having a problem with the media right now is that, you know, um, they love that, you know, they're writing constantly about, you know, Joe Biden and his campaign and him being old and things like that. And like, um, you know, all these different things and his approval rating here and there, but it's also like ladies and gents, boys and girls, everything in between. Have you heard Trump speak recently? Have you, like, he is taught, like, how is Joe Biden getting lower approval ratings or, you know, uh, in terms of how he would handle the Palestine-Israel conflict than Donald Trump when Trump is saying, yeah, let's ban Muslims again. Let's institute our Muslim ban. Yeah. Let's give Israel free reign. How is that possible? And I think it comes down to a failure in the media. And I think, I've actually seen a lot of journalists recently on Twitter being like, it's our job to do this and we're not doing it effectively enough. Hmm. So that's my overall problem. And I think like, again, like I think that when it comes to like the, the Trump trials, if it's not like happening right now, I don't think the media talks about it enough. Like I, there, there's so much happening in the Trump trials in DC and Georgia. Agree with that. I agree with that. And it's not really being talked about by like national media. It's kind of focused on Israel, Palestine. I under, and you know, like kind of more stuff like that. And I get it because that's kind of the issue of our time right now. But we also have an election that's like a year away. And we also have historic nature with somebody being, you know, a president of the United States, former president of the United States being charged with serious crimes. And it's just not being talked about. So that's like the main problems I have. But you're that's, right. It does sound no, kind of no. Trump to be like it, the media. I mean, it does. It does. But honestly, when you put it like that, it makes sense. And I'd be curious after the podcast to, to see what, you know, like some of the journalists you're talking about on Twitter talk yeah. about it. But I, I do think that like it's, you know, becoming more clear to me in the last few weeks that like we're going to see a huge shift, I believe, after – you know, maybe in the coming year, but specifically probably after 2024 and like how these media, how media portrays polling and how these polls are conducted, because there's a lot of things in a lot of these 
polls that are just very they they never add up even in the same polling that you know done by the same people that just don't make sense um is is usually you know not only off you know in practice but off logically and so i don't know and and as i've seen recently a lot of people say you know quote unquote he's underwater with gen z right now or like he's lost a lot of support among gen z someone pointed out you know someone i really like on twitter pointed out you know gen z these are all poll these are all polls done via phone calling you know and when you poll gen z they tell you in polling that they don't answer the phone for polls they they do way more online polling or in-person polling than they do phone you know answering the phone and in real practice that's like real shit because i don't know about you bro but like all i do is hang out with like 21 year olds like myself all day i've never seen anyone answer a random phone call bro yeah, no, no, no. I like this thing on the blocks, like numbers. I don't. Oh recognize. yeah, I'm not answering I mean, that, bro. I'm, I'm not. not answering. Yeah, like I'm not answering that, bro. I'm just I'm not answering. answering that. Right. Um, so you know, that's a, and that's a problem. It's like I wonder how these, these polling. I, I I haven't seen much adaptation from these polling companies in terms of methodology, like to adapt for what Gen Z is doing. I don't. I really don't know who these Gen Z are. Gen Zers are who are picking up the phone, dude. Who are like yeah, who are these I, people? I don't know. I don't and know. And it's it's bizarre. It's very bizarre. I agree. It's bizarre. But I also – and, like, I saw a poll today or something like that. I think it might have been out of Michigan where Joe Bi- – this is so crazy. Joe Biden was losing, like, the 18 to 29-year-old vote by, like, five points but was winning the plus 65 vote by, like, 16. Oh, what? yeah. No, that's... You saw that poll? No, no, I didn't. But that sounds exactly like a poll I'd see on Twitter and just be like, oh, yeah, this is definitely reasonable for sure. Yeah, like, this is, what like, – this is... Yeah, dude, it what, makes like, no sense. It makes I no mean, sense. I understand that you know young people are mad with Joe Biden right now, but I, 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 I really would. I would be very, 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 very surprised in twenty twenty four if it's like young people are voting for Democrats by like only five points. I agree. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I even saw. I think it was an NBC poll from today, as we're recording this on Sunday, that says you know Gen Z, eighteen to twenty four, Joe Biden has a one point lead. Based on their poll from yesterday. And I was like, you're telling mm. me when you poll Gen Zers, it's 48, 47 Biden? I'm like, something's up, bro. <laughs> that don't sound right to me. That don't sound right uh, to me. So, and, like, and again, you just, again, in practice, all these polls end up just, like, especially lately. And again, I hate to trash on polls or the media because I genuinely, like, respect that job and I, and I think it does yeah. like a lot of damage when you discredit reasonable media like we the Trump right that's kind of why it feels Trumpy to me but it is reasonable to say you know for whoever's doing the pollings like we're gonna see I think a major shift in the practice of how it's talked about and how it's done because again we saw it in 2022 in the midterms where the polls are all suggesting a massive red wave that just is not isn't there is no massive red wave right and we see this actually like mini blue wave and this big Gen Z support that the poll suggested wasn't going to show up. You know, you had kind of like more inside people saying, you know, uh, some of the books I read even, like some of the people that don't really do polling but are kind of on the inside of politics say, there's a real potential for Gen Z to show up in this 2022 midterm. But all the polls were saying it's flat. They're just, they're probably, they're probably you know, they're probably not going to show up. We'll see. And then there's this big wave. Um, and so, and then obviously in the 2020 election, we saw Joe Biden win young people by what 28 points i think something he's like up that. 28 yeah. 26 27 don't it's something in there uh and in two years trump gained 25 advantage points amongst young people 
Yeah, like what? what like what has changed? I'd be like, may, maybe we're just maybe, maybe we're, we're too underestimated. In, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe we're just too invested. Yeah, I don't maybe know, you but, were too invested. I mean, we'll have to see. But like, what is what has changed in the past? No way, Israel and Palestine has changed youth support from. Well, yeah, we want abortion rights. Yeah, we care about climate change. Yeah, education to be funded should be like. Yeah, America first. You know, <laughs> right, way, right that, dude. Well, also like, if you poll those people, I'd be curious. Like the NBC poll, that's splitting them. Like, what happened? I'm sure there's. You know, some amount of Gen Zers who picked up the phone who would have said Biden, who probably said, I'm not voting. I guess that just takes the total number of people pulled down and then they call more people. I, I, I just know. don't know, dude. Maybe we're yeah, just dumbasses. Maybe we don't yeah, know enough about polling. Dumb. Maybe we don't know enough about polling. But regardless, <laughs> it's know. interesting. You should look into it. Um, but yeah, and you should also continue, as Harry and I said, to use your voice on social media as we have a president of the United, or a, a potential president of the United States for the Republicans, you know, 91 felonies. Use hit, use language like Hitler. Talk about how he's gonna scrap scrap climate change, etc. Uh, and that needs to be everyone's focus going into 2024 because it's scary shit, and we cannot let Republicans win. So, with that being said, um, I know that this was uh, a little bit of a shorter episode today, as you can see, possibly by my background. I might not even put my video on just because I feel like it looks a little ridiculous. But I'm kind of in an odd location here. I'm like kind <laughs> of in a closet of sorts because, unfortunately, I had some personal issues on where I was recording. But regardless, as I didn't really intro in the beginning, this has been Chris and Harry Unplugged. We're two Gen Z liberals who talk about politics, scream, on, scream about politics uh, every Monday at 1 p.m. If you check the link, um, there's a link to this hoodie I'm wearing, which is our merchandise with our faces on the back. It says Unplugged. You can check it out. Each hoodie bought um, has a one tree is planted and they're made domestically in the United States. Uh, and we also have a Patreon now, which we just released bonus episode one. If you are subscribed to the Patreon, the support goes a long way for us, and you get bonus content, live streams, a Discord, or you can chat coming soon with members and chat with us. Um, so it should be really cool. So you can check that out too, and we really, really, really appreciate all the support lately. It means a lot. You guys are truly the best. Like the video. You know, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, so you get the notification every single weekend. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you back here next Monday. Be safe. Peace.